Hello and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Women podcast, where we share the legacy of women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You'll get to know the faithful women who shaped our past and hear from inspiring women of faith today. I'm Shailen Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. We are your co-hosts. And today we are very excited to welcome Liz Darger as our guest. Liz, welcome. Thanks for having me. We have so many people who've been on our list for a long time, and you are one of those people that we've waited for a long time to talk to. So we're excited that you're here today and we get to meet you. Really happy to be here with you too. So as a quick introduction of Liz, Liz has served on the Young Women Advisory Council since August of 2018, and she works full-time as the BYU Senior Associate Athletic Director and the Senior Woman Administrator. So in that role, she serves as the administrator for women's soccer, men's and women's cross-country, women's gymnastics, the spirit squads, men's and women's indoor and outdoor track and field. And among those, I know there's several championship teams and groups, so that's pretty neat for you to be involved in. She's also a Utah Women in Leadership Project Ambassador. Liz grew up in Boise, Idaho, and is, I'm sure, a beloved aunt to 14 nieces and nephews. So with all that said, Liz has some very interesting opportunities and assignments, and we're just really excited to have her here with us today. Liz, to begin with, you earned a master's degree in school counseling, and you're currently pursuing a doctorate in educational leadership, focusing your studies and research on Latter-day Saint women, leadership, and higher education, which is so neat, and we feel so lucky to be able to talk to you today. You You are the perfect, yep, the perfect guest. Definitely. You've previously shared with us the power of what you've called nudges in influencing women to pursue education and leadership opportunities that they may not have thought to pursue otherwise, which I love. So first, we want to talk with you more about this concept of nudges, but then we also want to hear about a few of the small and influential nudges that have led you to where you are today. Thank you for that question. I love it. I'm really passionate about this topic There's a woman named Karen Longman, who's a professor at Azusa Pacific University, and she's done a lot of research with evangelical women and leadership in higher education. And some of the things that she's found in her research, as I read about it, really just resonated with me. Mm -hmm. She found that women often feel a sense of calling in taking on leadership roles. They feel that God has blessed them with gifts and talents, and he expects them to use those gifts and talents to bless the world. That many women feel a sense of relational responsibility, either to another person or to an organization, where they feel like, I love this person or I love this organization, and they need my help, so I'll step into this role. Also, this idea of nudges and how nudges can play a part in that. In her research, She's found that there aren't as many women that may have necessarily sought out leadership opportunities with some plan in mind of where they wanted to end up. But it was more through these nudges from other people or the sense of calling from God that propelled them into these leadership opportunities that they may not have otherwise thought that they were capable of or Mm -hmm. thought they'd be interested in. And so I've had the opportunity to meet with Karen Longman. And so that is the focus of my research with Latter-day Saint women. And I have absolutely felt nudged in my life, in my career, in other areas. I graduated from BYU with a degree in family sciences, having no idea what I was going to do with it. Mm -hmm. But I knew I loved every class I took. And so I figured, I'll figure it out. But Mm -hmm. I love this major. And I had gone to Colorado to visit my sister who was playing volleyball there. And there met a friend of hers who coached college basketball there, Reagan Scott Peebly. In talking with Reagan, I just said, how did you get your job as a college basketball coach? That sounds so great. And she said, well, I played college basketball and it just kind of led me into it. 
And she said, would you ever want to coach? And I said, yeah, it sounds really fun, but I didn't play college ball. She goes, well, that doesn't matter. I said, well, I wasn't even that good a high school player. I don't know that I would know enough to coach. She said, well, you should. You should do it. No, no, no. I just kept discounting it. Mm -hmm. Later on that day, she handed me her phone and said, my dad wants to talk to you. Her dad had just gotten a job as a high school coach in Provo, Utah. I was a senior at BYU at the time. Mm -hmm. And he said, hey, Reagan said I should hire you to help me coach. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. And he said, come to an open gym and see what you think. And so it kind of didn't give me a choice, but I thought, okay. (laughs) So I went to an open gym and fell in love with coaching. Mm -hmm. And Reagan didn't owe me anything. What took her five minutes literally changed the trajectory of my life. But she saw that I had an interest or saw that maybe I had a potential and went out of her way to nudge me and say, you should do this. And I've had many other nudges since, including the nudge to pursue a doctorate from mentors and colleagues that just said, have you ever thought about getting a doctorate? And I've said, absolutely not. No, I haven't (laughs) thought about that. (laughs) Thank you for asking. (laughs) I said, well, you really should consider it. And then that nudge kind of finds a little place in you. And as I've prayed about things, felt like, okay, I think I am supposed to. So I have a testimony of nudges. And I feel like I'm a product of nudges and wonderful people that have gone out of their way. And again, what's taken just them a few seconds or a minute has changed my life and provided me new opportunities and helped me see myself a different way. Well, I love this concept of nudges because as you've been talking, I can relate to that feeling certainly from the spirit. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, that definitely sometimes feels like a nudge when you just have an idea or something that you've never Mm -hmm. thought of before. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I was relating it. But then I love how you're like, no, these these are also nudges from people bringing ideas that Mm -hmm. I would have never thought of. And so I'm just wondering, how can women help nudge other women, especially young women, especially coming from your perspective, Mm -hmm. to reach their potential and develop these talents that we have? Yes. First of all, I absolutely agree with you. I think the Holy Ghost is obviously the ultimate nudger. (laughs) (laughs) And as we learn to honor those nudges, recognize them and, and honor them, I think we'll find that we receive even more of them. And so many of those nudges may be things for our own life, but I feel like I get nudged all the time to do something for someone else. Mm -hmm. And so to answer your question, what can we do specifically for young women? First of all, I think it's learning to understand the spirit. And when the spirit nudges us in a way to impact a young woman's life, making sure to honor that. If I'm watching a class president that is running the class presidency meeting and they're using an agenda and the thought comes to my mind, wow, she did a really great job of leading that meeting. Do I just let that stay in my mind or do I tell her that and say, you did such a great job of that? Mm -hmm. You know, you clearly are developing a wonderful skill for knowing how to facilitate a meeting. So that can be a nudge where you're pointing out something and it needs to be specific most of the time. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And something specific and saying, I've noticed this in you. Have you ever thought about doing something with it? Or I would love to see you do something with it. So I think especially as youth leaders, we have just incredible opportunities to nudge the young women we're around because we know how capable they are. We know their capacity is unbelievable. President Nelson talks about they have the capacity to be wiser and stronger and have more influence on the world than any other generation. So we know that. How often do we verbalize it with them? And again, not just in a general sense, but a specific sense on something we notice, whether it's an already developed gift or talent, something maybe they came with or Mm -hmm. something they're working on, something they may not even realize they Mm -hmm. have a potential potential. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And when you articulate that and and put words to it, then they can think like, oh, I was just thinking we have some young women in our ward that 
will babysit my kids pretty often. And I feel like I need to be better at saying things to them. But I've said things to their parents before. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I really appreciate this about your daughter. You know, mm-hmm. I I noticed this about her and they're just kind of like, really? But I, I know that they appreciate hearing it from a different perspective yes. too about their daughter. And then maybe they can help develop mm-hmm. that in them and facilitate that. Yeah. I think it's a great idea. Another thing I found is sharing those things that you notice to parents in front of their child. Yeah, yeah that's a good idea. Uh, how how much of a confidence boost that can right. be. Exactly. Just last week, I was with our track and field team. And these are, you know, young adults. But anytime I have the opportunity to meet the parents of any of our student athletes, I consider it such a privilege because our student athletes are remarkable. But taking that opportunity to share with those parents in front of that student athlete the specific things that I have noticed and appreciate about that student athlete just creates a new connection and appreciation, I think, as well for parents and for their children. Definitely. This is a really important conversation, I think, because you've shared how important this is in helping especially women develop and have a vision of what they can be and what Mm -hmm. talents they have, what they can develop. So you've given us some really tangible suggestions within family relationships or as leaders, how we can help those young women reach and meet their potential. So thank you so much. And again, this is something that literally can take five seconds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but yes. it's us being more cognizant, perhaps, of those thoughts that come into our mind because we all and have those thoughts through. and mm-hmm. following through and expressing what we are thinking. And I think the same goes for any compliment we have. Mm-hmm. If I see someone and they just did a great job in a presentation or someone that looks really nice that day or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and the thought will come into my mind like, oh, they just killed that presentation. That mm-hmm. was awesome. Or, oh, they, you know, they look really great. But how often do I actually... Tell them. It takes just a few seconds, but can make Mm -hmm. a real difference in how that person sees themselves. Well, thank you for sharing your example of something so small and simple that, like you said, just redirected the course of your life and where you've ended up today. Is there anything else you want to share about your research or about your PhD? That I wish it would be over. I love it. (laughs) And I'm halfway through my interviews, and I'm so excited to finish writing and be done. I'm kidding. but. That's amazing. It's so wonderful, and it'll be so great when it's done. (laughs) Yes. That feeling of being done with anything related to school, there is nothing like that. (laughs) Could just have it be over. And Mm -hmm. they call this thing a terminal degree for a reason. Like, this is terminal. (laughs) There is nothing else you can ever ask me to do, Father in Heaven. This (laughs) is it. (laughs) So. So, Liz, you have shared with us, and you also shared this on a recent LDS Living podcast, the All In podcast, that upon arriving at BYU as an undergrad, you've talked about, you studied family sciences, that you experienced a bit of an identity crisis. And I think that so many women can relate to a similar experience, you know, of loss or soul searching, even maybe darkness or confusion at critical transition points or points of change in their life. So we'd love for you to share what this experience was like for you and what really helped you in getting through this identity crisis and finding out who you really are and where your value lies. Uh, Thank you. Ultimately, I had defined myself by what I did previous. So I defined myself by my hobbies and my talents and the things that made me unique from others. And then getting to BYU, I was thrust into the situation where I wasn't doing those things anymore. I wasn't playing on the basketball team. I wasn't in the choir. I wasn't in student government. Everyone there were members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and I didn't know who I was. And so having that opportunity to really soul search and go to my Father in Heaven and ask, and then receiving that wonderful answer that I knew that I that I'd recited the young women theme over and over, but to really receive that answer that I was a daughter of God. 
and that that meant that there were some major implications for that of having a divine identity and an eternal purpose. But what's interesting is that didn't mean that suddenly life was easy. It changed. It definitely changed things and gave me a different confidence moving forward in my 20s of, okay, it doesn't matter what I'm doing or what I'm involved in. You know, what matters is that I have a relationship with my Father in Heaven, that I understand that I'm His. But again, that doesn't mean that those feelings of wondering who I am or what my life is going to be like don't creep back in. And I had another experience in my late 20s where I feel like I was probably on like the third round of a lot of friends getting married. You know, I feel like the first wave is in your early 20s, and there's another (laughs) wave in your mid-20s and another wave in your late 20s. And I was really enjoying my job. I was a school counselor and a basketball coach, but life was not turning out the way I thought it would. My mother tells me the story that in kindergarten, when we were all asked what we wanted to be when we grew up, I said I wanted to be a mother. And the teacher just said, okay, that's great, but what else do you want to be? And I just said, I don't want to be anything else. I just want to be a plain old mother. (laughs) And my mother heard that story with pride because she described herself as a plain old mother. So she was very proud of that. Yeah. So that was what I thought I would be doing, Mm -hmm. not doing it. And just trying to figure out, okay, what does life mean for me? And as I went to my Father in Heaven again in prayer to say, what is my life about? What am I meant for if I'm not married and I don't have the meaning that I thought I would have through a marriage and through motherhood? Mm -hmm. The answer that came was, first of all, that I may not get married in this life. It wasn't that I wouldn't, but it was that you may not. Mm -hmm. It was almost this confirmation of what I've been feeling, like I really may not get married in this life, but that I had made sacred covenants and I needed to focus on those. And instead of thinking so much about what I'm missing out on and the covenants I have yet to make Mm -hmm. in being sealed, I needed to focus my efforts on really understanding the covenants I've made and living those and then recognizing the incredible blessings and God's power that come that I can access as I keep those covenants. And that completely then again shifted my thinking. And instead of moping around and being so focused on what I didn't have, what covenants I hadn't made yet and didn't have the opportunity to make yet, I shifted to wanting to really understand the covenants I had made. And how am I living them? Am I living them out as best as I can? And am I recognizing the blessings that have always been coming to me as I've lived my covenants? Or am I focused on the blessings that haven't come yet? And that has been a a really helpful thing for me as I am still not married in my early 40s, but also feeling from my Father in Heaven that the plan of salvation and exaltation is a plan of happiness, and it still applies to me. God has a plan for me, and it's the same plan— the timeline and how things all work out, but it's eternal. Mm -hmm. It's the same plan. And it's not just endure this life and be happy in the next life. It's a plan to be happy in this life. And so finding joy in my journey and seeking to be so close to my Father in heaven that I know what He needs from me and that I am worthy and ready and willing for whatever opportunities come. Even if being a wife and being a mother, if that opportunity doesn't come in this life, there will be other opportunities. And certainly in the past few years, I have felt that. I've been blessed with really unique opportunities to serve and to lead. And I've absolutely felt that promise from Father in Heaven come to fruition of, this is still a plan of salvation and exaltation and a plan of happiness, and I have things I need you to do. And so be ready and worthy and willing. And your path may look a little bit different, but it's the same path. It's the same plan. Mm -hmm. 
when we previously were talking to you about this question about having an identity crisis, you kind of made a joke like, oh, I've had more than one identity crisis. And I'm just thinking of our listeners, there's probably so many that are thinking that they've had that same experience, you know, and maybe there's another identity crisis to come if they Mm -hmm. get divorced or have a spouse die or, you know, something in their life changes. Change or transition. And transitions where they have to really exactly what you said, refocus on the covenants that they've made, the things that they know, and the opportunities that they have in that moment. And realizing that, yes, God's plan is a plan of happiness, and He wants you to be happy regardless Mm -hmm. of what's happening, not happening, Mm -hmm. anything like that. And so I just love your affirmation that it kind of had to come to that conclusion a couple different times Mm -hmm. and saying, Heavenly Father knows me. He's aware and this is what I can do right now yes. in my life. I don't know. I think that's beautiful. And I want to make sure I don't make it sound over simplistic. Like, oh, if you just pray about it and then all of a sudden, you know, life's happy. No, life's hard. Mm-hmm. Life is really, really hard. But I think it's important when we have those moments of identity crisis. And yeah, I've had multiple and I'm sure there are more to come. <laughs> uh, but where do I turn? Mm-hmm. Yes. And where do I turn for peace? Sacred hymns have just played a really neat role in my life that I haven't sought out. It just seems like they've played an important role in my life. And I love the hymn, Where Can I Turn for Peace? Mm -hmm. But what is so interesting about that hymn, it drives me nuts when it's chosen as a closing hymn. And if things are running late, we only sing the first verse. I think that is the worst cliffhanger (laughs) ever. It's just a bunch of questions, If you only sing the first verse, you don't get the answer of where you can turn for peace. (laughs) But I think that's instructive. The answer, he only won, our Savior Jesus Christ is the answer, doesn't come until the end of the second verse. And I think that's like our life sometimes. Where can we turn for peace? We can turn to our Savior, and that's where we turn. But sometimes the answers don't come right away or come in the way that we think that Mm -hmm. they will, but they will come. So where do we turn when we have those identity crises? Where do we look for meaning in our lives? And it's really easy to look for outward things. It's really mm-hmm. easy to look to the world. It's really easy to look at social media. I mean, mm-hmm. and that's how our world has set up right now for us to feel meaning and affirmation. Sure. And that is the exact opposite <laughs> of what we should do mm-hmm. as we turn to our Father in heaven. That is where we will feel peace and feel real meaning no matter our circumstance. Mm-hmm. And just the constancy of that, right? Because I've even in difficult times turned to family or friends kind of like help me, like, give me some wisdom, tell me what I should do. And either they're not always available or what they say isn't quite right. And we know that Heavenly Father is always there and that we can always reach out and pray. And the answers maybe don't come in the time or the way that we're hoping or expecting, but we can trust that He is there and He is listening. And what it sounds to me is that when we do seek Him, there's affirmation that comes too, that the path that you are on is a good one. It's a path that will lead you to me. Yes. I also want to say you recently taught about this in a really fantastic devotional at BYU in May of 2021, which we'll link to in the show notes. And something that just struck me really deeply and the way as I look back and think about how I felt when I first heard you say it, it almost was communicated as like, we each have a responsibility to seek this, to seek our identity, to understand it. And it's an expectation. It's responsibility. What would you say to someone who's like, I'm really searching to know who I am. It's not coming right away. What would you counsel them or what would you say to them? A few things come to mind. One is growing up, I said the young women theme every week. And I think I believed it, but, but it didn't really implant itself in my soul until later on. But, and I think in particular with young women, there is power in reciting those eternal truths and out loud. And why? Because it gives the Holy Ghost the opportunity to bear witness 
that what you're saying is true. And so for our young women, as they recite our beautiful young women theme, even if they're not quite sure they believe it all yet, you know, they're not quite sure they believe what they're saying, but there is power and there is purpose in them reciting that theme. And as they are open to receiving the Holy Ghost, it gives the Holy Ghost the chance to bear witness that, yes, what you are saying is true about you. When it doesn't come right away, my my parents talked about how faith precedes the miracle. And if we don't receive an answer right away, then we proceed as though we do have the answer. And then the Spirit will confirm at some point and let us know, yes, you're on the right path or no, you're probably not on the right path. And so with someone that is seeking to understand their identity and doesn't feel like they're getting an answer, then I would say then live your life as if you know, as if you know that you are a daughter of heavenly parents. And what does that life look like if you absolutely know? It means that you walk with confidence, but with humility. It means that you are seeking to treat others in a way that you recognize their divine identity and potential. It means that you recognize that you have gifts and talents that are needed, that you have the humility to ask your Father in Heaven how to cultivate those. So act as though you know. There's no question in your mind who you are, what your identity is. And then eventually the Spirit will confirm that indeed you are. But sometimes we have to act before we receive that miracle or that confirmation. Thank you. That's perfect, and that's very wise counsel. In that same BYU devotional that we mentioned, you also taught, and I'll just quote you because we liked this quote. Mm -hmm. You said, after receiving a testimony of our divinity, the next important step is to seek to gain a testimony of the divinity of everyone on this earth, that they are all children of God too, and that their souls are just as precious to God as ours. And I just think that's such a beautiful sentiment because you have talked about nudges and being able to articulate things that you notice about people, you know, and that importance of that affirmation. But we'd like to know a little bit more about that and how have you sought an understanding and belief in the divinity of others and also what blessings have come to you as you've reached this knowledge and understanding? As we seek to understand the divine identity of others, it may come easy with some people. We absolutely see and believe that they have a divine potential. And then there are others that it, it may be harder to believe that. With those that it may be harder to immediately feel that they have a divine potential too and that God cherishes the soul as mm -hmm. much as he cherishes us, we can sometimes catch ourselves feeling impatient or being critical and the earlier we can catch ourselves in those moments and recognize the preciousness of this soul, then it does change how we approach conversation with them. It increases our patience. It increases our desire to listen and understand. But it takes practice. I don't think it's something that we just pray for and it happens. But certainly we need to pray for it. And then we need to practice. I served a few years ago in a young women presidency and at young women camp at testimony meeting, which we all have wonderful experiences with those testimony meetings. There were a number of young women that shared beautiful testimonies. And then there was a 12-year-old, a beehive, we don't call them beehives anymore, but a 12-year-old that started to bear her testimony. And this was a young woman that I didn't naturally click with. There are many that I feel like I do, and it's really easy. This one always felt like it was a little more challenging. I had to find things for us to talk about or try and find things in common and, and really listen, and, and I often was impatient. As this young woman started to talk, there wasn't a whole lot about the gospel. She just was talking, mm -hmm. and it went on, and it went on, and it went on. 
And I was feeling myself getting frustrated and getting impatient and wondering how I should handle this situation, what I should do to mm-hmm. get things back, back on track on and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And then the spirit whispered to me, she just needs to be heard. And it was a reframe for me of what this young woman needed in that moment. Mm-hmm. She needed to be heard by people that cared about her. And perhaps she wasn't feeling heard at home. Perhaps she wasn't feeling heard by her family. This was a setting where she felt safe and that she could be heard. So when we think about those that it may not be as easy to see how God sees them, for me, that was an example of in that moment of me being tutored by the Spirit of saying, this is a precious soul to your Father in heaven, and right now she needs to be heard. And so being able to have more of an appreciation for her and what her life might be like and her experiences that I know nothing about. But I do think that as we work to align our behavior with our belief, that's also not something that comes overnight. We can gain a testimony of the divinity of others. I don't think that automatically means that we suddenly treat everyone perfectly, but hopefully it helps us to recognize the Holy Ghost recognize those moments of patience, those moments of grace, and how we reach out to others. And as we practice it more and more, then we align our actions more with our belief. And I think that's one of the ways that we strive to become like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. I think so, too. Thank you so much Mm -hmm. for sharing that. And I think a powerful lesson in that, too, is sort of reframing our expectations of what is the purpose of Girls Camp or what is the purpose Mm -hmm. of these different meetings or activities or service projects. Because I think sometimes we are so focused on, but this needs to be a really spiritual meeting and Mm -hmm. she's derailing the meeting. And it's (laughs) like, well, actually, maybe the purpose is just that everyone feels loved and like they are needed here and that they belong and that we're so happy that they're here. I think that the spirit can help us see through our mortal expectations and like you said, impatience. Yes. So I like that example a lot. And Liz, I think this conversation really relates to a unique opportunity that you have to serve as a member of the NCAA Common Ground Leadership Team. And that is a program that's aimed at bringing together people in sports from the LGBTQ community and the religious community for deep and important and hard conversations. And the objective is just really impressive. You share this goal to make college athletics a place where all student athletes, regardless of their sexual orientation, gender identity, or religious beliefs, can thrive and belong. So we would love for you to just share, this sounds like such an important thing to be a part of, share how you became involved and some of the things that you have learned on this leadership team. Thank you. Being a part of the NCA Common Ground Initiative really has been life-changing for me. And it actually started as almost an accidental assignment in representing BYU that now is very clear to me uh, was by divine design. Mm -hmm. Again, going back to my father and having having things he needs me to do. And this very much feels like one of those parts of my mortal mission is to be involved in this initiative and meet these remarkable people. But I was assigned to represent BYU at a common ground meeting in the NCAA headquarters in Indianapolis, Indiana, Mm -hmm. about 40 people there. And I didn't know anyone going into the meeting and was very, very nervous. I didn't have experience necessarily in these conversations Mm -hmm. and felt very (laughs) underqualified to be entering into such sensitive discussions Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and to represent BYU. My entire family, my parents and siblings and their spouses all fasted for me. Oh, that's that's amazing. And I was able to attend a session in the Indianapolis Temple before the meeting started that afternoon. And being in the temple felt 
a feeling of peace that I would have heavenly help. Didn't mean it was easy, Mm -hmm. but that I would have heavenly help. And I certainly did. In those first few days of meetings, I tried to follow the Spirit in my interactions and what I shared and how. And there were moments where I felt very alone and felt pointed out, felt isolated, Mm -hmm. and wondered who was going to be my ally in in these discussions. But one of the most important things I learned from that is that perhaps that is how our LGBTQ or same-sex attracted Latter-day Saint brothers and sisters feel sometimes in the church or feel on BYU campus. They Mm -hmm. may feel isolated or alone or wondering who is going to be their ally Mm -hmm. and seek to understand them. There were remarkable things I learned in those two days. I think going in with humility, knowing that I needed heavenly help in those discussions, Mm -hmm. and going in with a very sincere heart of truly trying to understand everyone else's perspective, instead of going in with an agenda in Mm -hmm. my mind, and here are the bullet points. I need to make sure that people understand about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and our doctrine and what I believe. No, instead it was going in with the intent to seek to understand others and their viewpoint. And in, in doing that, was able to meet some really remarkable people. And the leadership team invited me a few months later to join the leadership team. And so it's been a number of years with that team now, help plan these common ground meetings and events wow. and, and speak all over the country and bring others to the table to have these really hard, but really, really important conversations. That's amazing. And have built like real friendships, Mm -hmm. right? With these people. These people, we started as strangers and then became colleagues. And these are truly some of my dearest friends, Mm -hmm. dearest friends. And that doesn't happen just because you sit around and talk about what you believe. Certainly that's a great start for it, but it Mm -hmm. happens as each of us is invested in each other's lives Mm -hmm. and every part of each other's lives. (laughs) <laughs> the the spectrum of every demographic you can think of in terms of age and gender and sexual orientation and political beliefs and religious beliefs or non-beliefs mm-hmm. and race. And there is such diversity in our leadership team, and we absolutely adore each other. And I love the opportunity to learn from them. And I have felt so honored in my religious belief and respected in my mm-hmm. religious beliefs from them. And they have taught me much about how to be an ally and how we can love and respect others even when we disagree. That's amazing. What a really and neat so important. Like, microcosm of what the world could be mm-hmm. through listening and respect. And, uh, and I think our world is really divisive. It's easy to get discouraged and think, how are we ever going to fix this? There's no way this can be fixed. And yet, what is in our sphere of influence? And every one of us has a sphere of influence of neighbors and friends and those in our ward and family. And what can we do in those personal relationships? I don't know that any single one of us is being asked to change and heal the whole world. But President Nelson has talked to each of us about what we can do to help gather Israel on both sides Mm -hmm. of the veil. And I believe uniting is part of that. Oh, absolutely. So Mm -hmm. if we each can be more intentional about the relationships in our sphere of influence and seeking to better understand the lived experience of others and listen, then I think that is how the world changes because each of us, we're all doing our part. I'd love to ask too, I know that so much of this work was, again, in these conversations that were not easy. You weren't just talking about your favorite kind of ice cream or something. You were having really difficult conversations. So what are some suggestions, things that you've learned from this experience that people can take to those relationships in trying to understand differences and in engaging in those difficult, uncomfortable conversations to have the outcome of greater unity? 
There are a few things. I had the opportunity to speak as a part of BYU Women's Conference a few months ago, and I was asked to speak on bridge building. And that's truly what this work is, is how do we build bridges? And if we think about the example of Nephi, and he was asked to build a ship and had no experience being a ship builder, and I'm sure had thoughts of, okay, where do I start? What do I do? It is so instructive that Nephi prayed to know where to go to find or that he might make tools, that he might make a ship. So he started at the very base level. We can do that same thing. We can go to our Father in Heaven to say, where can I go to make tools? We can go to our Father in Heaven and know that He can be the architect of our bridges that we are seeking to build, just as He is the divine architect of the boat that Nephi built and the divine architect of our Mm -hmm. lives. Some of the tools, though, that I have learned, and really it has been in the experience, I don't think you read a book and learn the tools and then just say, okay, I got it. I'm good. (laughs) I think we really learn through practice. Sure. But a couple things that stand out to me. One is that we can build on commonalities. I'd like to share a story. I was at a conference for women athletic administrators a number of years ago, and it was a leadership institute, so there were only 20 of us from all different places in the country, all different backgrounds. And as we all introduced ourselves, there was a a woman that mentioned that she and her wife had just had their first son, and she worked at Wellesley College my mother went to Wellesley. And so I sought her out to make that connection. Yeah, And she was thrilled to know that my mother went there. And as we continued to talk, and she said, now, are you Mormon? And she said, I have a lot of questions about the mission trips that your football players go on oh. <laughs> and, and about the honor code that, that Brigham University has. And so we had this really interesting exchange as I was able to make that connection with her about Wellesley and the very positive experience my mother had on that campus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We were walking to dinner as a group one night, and this was during a presidential election. And in the lobby, there was a presidential debate going on. And a lot of people were in the lobby and restaurant watching the the debate. Mm -hmm. And it sort of felt like this moment of tension as she and I kind of were walking together toward dinner, just (laughs) getting to know each other. And here is this debate that was the talk of the country. Divisive. Exactly. And we just started talking. And I asked her, I said, what's important to you in an election? What are the things that you're going into an election thinking about and considering? And she talked about her family. She talked about Mm -hmm. her wife and her son and the importance of protecting her family, of wanting her family to feel safe and know that they could safely live their lives and that that was something really important to her in this election. And wow, that resonated with me because I don't know anyone that isn't concerned for the safety of their family. Mm -hmm. I talked to her a little bit about religious beliefs and the protection of religious freedom and that that's something really important to me because of my beliefs about eternal families. And so all of a sudden we're having this conversation where we find that we value the very same things. And it led into us talking about more things that we valued. And we found that we just had a lot in common. Mm -hmm. And certainly we had some things in our lives that were very different in terms of our lived experience, but we had a lot in common and were able to form a great friendship. And so finding commonalities and building upon those, that would be Mm -hmm. one tool that I would mention. Well, and I just like that you weren't like, oh, we don't have a lot in common. That might kind of blow up. We should maybe not talk or engage in. (laughs) But you're like, let's engage in a conversation. Let's, like you said, make these connections. Yes. Another tool in these conversations in bridge building is to be willing to ask somebody what is important to them, be willing to ask someone more about their beliefs, and then make sure that we are really listening to their answer 
and not formulating our response. And then using that information to help show respect to that person. I'll give an example for this. I was preparing to go to Indianapolis to shoot a video with this Common Ground leadership team. And a week before I was to go was when President Nelson made the announcement of the importance of emphasizing the full name of the church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And my heart kind of sank because amongst the leadership team at that point, I was known as the Mormon. Mm -hmm. And in Common Ground Conversations, I had tried really hard to use accessible language and to meet people where they are Mm -hmm. in building bridges. And Mormon certainly was one of those efforts of that's how people— Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so my heart just sank, and I thought, how on earth am I going to explain to these friends— that I would now like to be referred to as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. (laughs) And on the video we're making, that on the bottom of the screen, it's going to say, Liz Darger, comma, member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. (laughs) I was feeling some anxiety about it. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely believe President Nelson is a prophet, and I sustain him. But I felt in that moment that I needed my own witness, that this applied to me, too. And as I prayed for that witness— that, Heavenly Father, does this counsel from the prophet also apply to me in this situation, <laughs> in, my, <yeah. laughs> in, my, in my little situation here? And later on that day, I received a text message from one of my dear friends from the leadership team who is a member of the LGBTQ community and who is atheist. Mm-hmm. And she said, Liz, I saw something on the news about your church preferring to not be called Mormon or LDS. Is there a name by which you would like for us to refer to you in our common groundwork? Wow. Oh, that's amazing. And I about lost it. I thought, wow, first of all, Father in Heaven is so good to us. He's so good to us to give us those wonderful moments of reminder that He is in charge and that He's aware of us. Mm -hmm. But second, my friend from the leadership team taught me something so important there. She cared enough about me that she wanted to better understand and show respect to me mm-hmm. by referring in a way that I would like. And so I ended up spending quite a bit of time when I was in Indianapolis with him the next week explaining the name of our church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And something that was so interesting to consider was that in all of my conversations the years previous about our church and what we believe, I couldn't ever remember testifying of Jesus Christ which I kind of shudder to even admit. I talked about many things in our doctrine, and perhaps I had, but I couldn't remember it. Or just kind of implied Mm -hmm. or, you know. But here, even in just talking about the name of the church, and they said, okay, help us understand this. And I said, well, when we make covenants at baptism, we covenant to take the name of Jesus Christ upon us. And part of that is in the name of our church as well. I found myself, again, engaging in a conversation about our Savior Jesus Christ with these dear friends that I wouldn't have otherwise. And that Common Ground leadership team, every member, they worked so hard to memorize the name of the church and to use it correctly. And they were always open, and they would say, Liz, please correct us if we say it the wrong way. Help us learn and be patient when we don't get it right. And that was instructive for me. That's another tool. And and I can do that for others. Mm -hmm. I can learn about others. I can listen and better understand. I can ask and seek and be willing to receive correction. And I can show Mm -hmm. respect to others by referring to them the way they would like to be referred. I love that. And such real friends that she was paying attention Mm -hmm. and thought to Mm -hmm. reach out to you and 
I love that story. Thank you for mm-hmm. sharing. So Liz, this has been such an important conversation and we want to switch gears just a tiny bit and go back to your role as a young woman advisory council member. And one of your responsibilities is that you lead a subcommittee that has been responsible for gathering the history of the Young Women's Organization at this time. And you've said that although this assignment isn't necessarily the most glamorous, (laughs) it's meant a really great deal to you. Can you share how and why you have come to love learning about church and family history so much and some of the meaningful assignments you've had in this role? Yes, I can. I love that question. And I actually brought props And I know this is obviously, you're probably like, "Uh, Liz, I don't know if you understand. This is a podcast. People can't see. But I brought props. But we can. We appreciate props. Because there are some things here that are really important to me that help connect this. My grandmother, Arlene Barlow-Darger, was called to be first counselor in the General Young Women Presidency in 1978. Elaine Mm -hmm. Cannon was the president. Mm -hmm. She was waiting by the phone the day I was born, and Papa Stan were waiting to hear of my arrival. Mm -hmm. And instead, they got a phone call from President Kimball saying, (laughs) we'd like to meet with you. So I've always just felt kind of this special connection Connection. that she she received that phone call the day I was born. When my grandmother passed away, I was given some of her things, including her nameplate from when she served, which I love. That's Um, so so cool. Including her (laughs) notebook that she used daily In her work with the young women and many other things, I could go on and on. And this was before I received this calling. These things kind of found their way to me. Uh When Elder Cook extended the calling to me to serve on the Young Women General Advisory Council, my thoughts went to Graham, Mm -hmm. to Arlene. And that afternoon, I drove and was able to spend some time at the cemetery just honoring my grandmother. What has been really neat and I'm getting to your question, I promise, about, about <laughs> this. I'm, I'm kind of a geek about this. Is great. About this. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but I feel like people say if you're a Latter-day Saint woman and you turn 40 and you're still single, suddenly you like love family history. <laughs> and that is so true, at least in my life. I feel like you're it was like, yep. like a light switch, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden I just became immersed in it. I love it. But it's been so neat to look through my grandmother's things, some of her notes and papers from that time serving, and see the parallels to now. She served at a time in the church, 1978 to 1984, when the church really was starting to become a worldwide church, and they instituted regional representatives, and they started doing trainings in other parts of the world, and she had the opportunity to travel and train leaders all over the world. Well, I am serving at a time where just in the past number of months, there is a new calling for women, the Area Organizational Advisors internationally. And they report through their area presidency, but they have connection with us in terms of we help to train and provide support. Mm -hmm. Yes. And one of my assignments is to be that liaison with our area organizational advisors in the Philippines. And so in the past couple of months, I have been on five or six Zoom trainings where I am teaching and training these, these wonderful women in the Philippines, just like my grandmother was training people internationally. While she served was also the time when it went to the three-hour block, and their presidency was involved in that decision-making of providing Sunday instruction for young women. 
Previous to that, there was a spiritual thought before the weekly activity, but they felt it was very important that young women had their own time. Their own class. Their Mm -hmm. own class on Sundays. But that transition to the three-hour block was a hefty transition. Well, in my time serving, we've transitioned to a two-hour block. Mm -hmm. And that transition and what has happened with that, and I could go on and on. There have been so many parallels and things I've learned. I have, and here one of my wonderful props, my grandmother served when the church celebrated the sesquicentennial of the church. And this is a report of everything they did. So the, the committees and what they did to celebrate the sesquicentennial. In my role overseeing this history subcommittee, I was asked to help oversee our efforts to celebrate the sesquicentennial of the Young Women Program. Mm-hmm which was last November. And previous to COVID, we had all, all sorts of plans. We were so grateful that even with COVID, we were able to have Continue. the wonderful mm-hmm. face-to-face event. But I joked with President Corden as I showed her this huge, thick <laughs> report. Yes. You know, and when I just gave her a one-page email at the end, said, okay, here's how we felt it went, you know, compared to this huge <laughs> no thing. Scrapbook. No, no scrapbook. No scrapbook, no scrapbook. <laughs> well, I said, you know, we pull up Instagram. We could call that the scrapbook. So I have felt this deep connection to history. And President Corden has talked about the importance of gathering the history of young women around the world. And now these young women are pioneering in their countries, and we want their stories. We want to know their testimonies. We want to be able to gather history so that whenever Saints Volume 25 is written, (laughs) that it is full of wonderful stories and testimonies of young women from around the world. And so it's been really exciting to be a part of that effort. And I absolutely feel Graham very present in our work there. What an incredible connection and so meaningful that that would just probably drive your involvement. your interest in your involvement. Yeah, that's so special. Thank you so much for sharing and for bringing the props. We enjoyed seeing them. Yes, if nothing else, you can appreciate them. Yes, our listeners can imagine. (laughs) Yes. Liz, this has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. Is there anything more that you would like to share with women of the church or listeners of the podcast? Yes, thank you for the opportunity. I hope that women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that are listening to this, I hope that they recognize how beloved they are. And if they don't feel it, I hope that they go to their Father in Heaven and and ask. And again, that answer may not come immediately, but I hope that they will live their life as though they already know it. I hope that they will know that I recognize, because my life hasn't turned out quite the way I thought, that I don't know that any of our lives are turning out quite the way we think. That's one of the beautiful parts of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that this is an eternal plan. And one of the beautiful parts of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the restored gospel of Jesus Christ is that this is a continuing restoration. And as all of us bring ourselves to this work, whatever that looks like, as we rally around each other, I hope that we are creating spaces where we all feel like we have a place And that's in our Relief Societies. That's in our young women classes. I think as adults, we can model that well for our young women. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think our young women can model it well for us. This generation of youth, they are inclusive by nature. They want to find ways for people to feel a part of things, and they want to feel a part of things. And the greatest thing any of us can be a part of is gathering Israel on both sides of the veil and this work of salvation and exaltation. I have a testimony of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I have a testimony that he lives. I have a testimony that even when life is hard, that he is there. And I think some people look at my life and think it's pretty glamorous. 
you know, there'll be women that are married with kids that'll look at my life and think, oh, I'd take that life because they're in the throes of it with toddlers and and with busy schedules where no part of their life is about themselves. And there are certainly really neat, fun parts of my life, but there are also hard parts. There's profound loneliness sometimes. And I'm really grateful that I can gather with women, some with similar life circumstances as, as myself and some with very different life circumstances, and that we can all learn from each other and that we can all be with each other and uplift each other. And I think as we work to do that better and recognize not only the divinity of others, but recognize that everyone is going through some hard, hard things. And as we learn to access the atonement of Jesus Christ, and as we learn to access God's power through keeping our covenants, then we can really create these Zion communities that we talk about. So yeah, I think that's what I would share. Liz, thank you so much for sharing so many of your deeply personal insights and your very meaningful experiences with us. We really appreciate that. Thank you. It's been great. And to our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Latter-day Saint Women podcast. We have really loved meeting with Liz and hearing about her experiences and her insights. So if you've enjoyed this, we hope you'll share the episode with a friend or family who'd benefit from this conversation today. The podcast is available just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. So in addition to being on the church's website, it's also available on the Gospel Library app, Saints Channel mobile app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many other platforms. So tune in and subscribe there and continue following us along with these great conversations with women of faith. And we love hearing from you. If you have any topics you'd like to hear addressed or a guest you'd like to hear from, just let us know. You can leave us a review or feel free to contact us at podcast at churchofjesuschrist.org. We'd also like to thank our wonderful editor, Kurt Dahl, and our producer, Matthew Mangum, and many others who support this podcast. Until next time, I'm Shailen Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. Thanks again for listening. Mm-hmm.